0: I'm Lindsay and this is Food52's Burnt Toast. It's a cartoon we've all seen a million times. There's a fairly well-dressed man walking along, and he's aloof. And then he's upended, arms flailing, legs following into the air. Maybe he has those little motion lines underneath him, the ones that look like the curved side of a protractor, tracing where his feet were before they left the ground. You saw this coming, of course, because in the frame before, there's a banana peel lying in wait. The banana peel is so synonymous with slipping that we know how this joke ends right when it starts. We've seen it in cartoons just like this, in comedy pratfalls, on television. In 2016, the banana peel challenge went viral on social media, and it's exactly what it sounds like. People would take turns creating videos of themselves slipping and falling on banana peels. We even throw little pixelated peels at our Mario Kart opponents to try to veer them off course. Just the other day, I passed a sign on a newly mopped floor. It was just a plastic inverted banana peel. No words, no writing. How did this happen? Did anyone ever really slip on a banana peel? And why a banana? Why not an orange or any fruit that's actually grown here in the US? let's start there. In order to trace the long and endlessly fascinating rise of the banana as a cultural symbol, we need to understand how they came to this country. Virginia Scott Jenkins wrote the book on banana history. Her book is literally called Bananas in American History. And she told me that in most of the U.S., we couldn't grow bananas if we tried. And we have.
1: There were sporadic attempts to grow bananas in Florida and on the Gulf Coast but it takes 18 months for a banana plant to to sprout and then produce a fruit. And the chances of frost are just too high. It wasn't economically feasible. Before the 1860s, I don't think any Americans had ever seen a banana, unless they would traveled to the Caribbean or Africa. At the end of the 19th century, bananas were a luxury item. They were exotic, they were expensive because the few bananas that made it to East Coast ports came in on sailing ships, and it depended on the weather and the wind, and you know if you could get bananas before they rotted. But then as steamships developed, it became clear that you could get bananas to East Coast ports by steamship pretty easily. And the United Fruit Company started to bring in bananas and made the decision to bring them in as cheaply as possible. Instead of bringing them in and selling them at a high price a few, we were bringing lots of them and selling them cheaply, so they became the poor man's fruit, affordable by anybody.
0: Thanks to new railroads that made it easy to bring heaps of bananas inland from major port cities, by the turn of the century, bananas were everywhere. And at the same time, Americans had this distance from the fruit. Without major native crops, bananas were never a mass source of income or a symbol of hard work. They were an American blank slate. They quickly became a commodity food. They were cheap and filling and an easy lunch to grab from a street vendor and eat right away, which happened all the time on the streets of New York City. It was an early major trade hub for bananas and where our story takes place.
1: Upper class people were, were trained not to eat in public, wouldn't be caught dead eating on the street. But the poor people bought fruit off of peddlers' pushcarts and would discard the fruit on the street where they ate.
2: Of course, that wasn't the only thing that was on the street at that time. The Department of Health reports in 1891, 500 tons of horse manure was collected from the streets every day.
0: That's Jean Ashton. She's the emeritus director of the library at the New York Historical Society.
2: And 62,000 horses lived here and 60,000 gallons of urine were produced by horses every day so you can imagine how hard it was to keep a city clean indoor toilets were not required by new york city until after 1900 so the, the question of the filth in the streets was just incredible and the smells must have been terrible to modern to modern nostrils modern noses and in the summer of course this was awful Horses, dead horses appeared, corpses of horses were around the city all the time. And you can imagine that added to the, the stench. Anyhow, New York was burgeoning. It always had grown, but after the Civil War, it jumped enormously in population. In 1850, there were few about 500,000 inhabitants. By 1890, there were million five hundred. So three times in uh, 40 years. And a lot of this population had to do with new immigrant populations coming from Europe because they saw America as an economic relief and also because there, was, there were some strife and torn, war-torn areas in Europe. And uh, there was no place for them to live except for many of them in the, below 14th Street in the very, very crowded, poverty-stricken areas. You know, people were throwing their garbage. There was no you know, New York City unlike many other cities, doesn't have alleys. So there's no place to put your garbage. So people got in the habit of just throwing things wherever. And banana peels must have been a particularly um, slippery part of that uh, refuse that was being thrown on the ground.
0: It's kind of instinctual to laugh, but people really were slipping on fruit peels. This was real. There were a few early reports of people slipping on orange peels, but nothing near as pervasive as bananas. An 1884 New York Times article called The Dangerous Banana Peel describes a man slipping on a peel on his way home from church. He was not expected to recover. A similar fate is recorded by the Times in 1911 and again twice in the 20s. The headlines Various Derivatives of Banana Peel Causes Death. There's also Banana Peel Routes Burglar from 1913, a stranger-than-fiction story about a burglar slipping on a banana peel in someone's home that he was in the middle of robbing. His fall made a commotion, and then he, along with his armful of stolen silverware, had to retreat. This was happening so much that falling on a peel became believable, a sturdy enough scapegoat for the next logical human step, scamming. Here's Virginia again.
1: They drop a banana peel and then pretend you know, to fall on it. And then sue the railroad for negligence. And several people, several people went to jail trying to do that.
0: And there was a separate meaning for banana peels that was starting to develop too.
1: They were associated with the immigrants because they showed up about the same time as a big wave of Im- immigrants from, from Europe. People were worried about, about litter and garbage and trash and what was happening in the cities. And sort of banana became sort of a code word.
0: There's an anti-immigrant political cartoon published in Harper's Weekly in 1880. It's two panels. The first is labeled cause and the other effect. In the first, there's a kind of unkempt man eating a banana on the street and throwing the peel on the sidewalk. And there's a dignified looking man in a top hat approaching in the distance. In the next panel, the guy in the top hat is being carried away in a stretcher. Here's Jean.
2: There was a lot of writing at the times about how dirty the immigrants were and how careless and how they threw their garbage around and you know if you combine that with a a new food that was cheap enough for poor people to have and eat um there were going to be an awful lot of people they didn't have a lot of luxuries in life and there were going to a lot of people who counted on having their great bananas as a treat as a you know it was a fad too And so thousands of bananas, and they were being eaten by the poor, and the poor were notoriously um, underserved by any kind of sanitation programs. This was the progressive
0: era, and though dirty streets were just one of many things that were undergoing reform, they were an important one. Disease outbreaks were sweeping, crowded cities, and people believed that the filth was part of the problem. In 1894, New York's answer to this was General George E. Waring, Jr.,
2: Oh, Waring was a, a genius in his way. He was, he was a self-taught uh, drainage engineer, and he had worked in the draining Central Park when it was being built, and he, he worked in other parts of the country a little bit in Memphis. And because he'd been successful with the Memphis sewer system, they brought him to New York in 1895, and he immediately initiated all kinds of very welcome reforms. I mean, he, he arranged to have the streets swept every day he hired a whole bunch of people and put them in white uniforms with white carts and brooms came to be known as the white wings i think he wanted a distinctive identity for them so that people wouldn't get in their way and wouldn't object to what they were doing and and you know white seemed clean Uh, i can't imagine it stayed very clean very long when they were at work but it was a symbol of purity and he wanted people to buy into cleanliness i mean he managed to get the uh, garbage loaded and shipped out and dumped in the middle of the Atlantic, or at least, you know, well off New York Harbor, and he just made an astounding difference in a very short period of time.
0: Prior to wearing, there was no mandated citywide trash collection programs, only private services you could pay for. So having a sanctioned group cleaning up the streets every day was groundbreaking. And other cities began to follow this lead, like St. Louis, who created an ordinance that specifically forbade the throwing of fruit on sidewalks. After Waring's three years as sanitation commissioner, there were a lot more programs in place, a lot less trash, and fewer banana peels. But the cultural moment of slipping on them had already taken root. Adding to plentiful newspaper clips and political cartoons were comedic pratfalls and gags in vaudeville theater.
1: I mean, it's it's funny to see somebody in a suit or uniform slip and fall on a banana peel. <laughs> it just sort of upends... Uh, authority and people enjoy that. So there were a lot of first silent movies, and then and then the talkies. A little later, I um, had these pratfalls where a policeman or somebody would would slip and fall on a banana peel. Bananas, people find them funny. You know, they're funny shape. <laughs> they're um, you know they, they don't get any respect. I was a walking along down the street with some fellas throwed a banana peeling on the sidewalk. Well, now, I don't think very much of the man what throws a banana peeling on the sidewalk, nor I don't think very much of the banana peeling what throws a man on the sidewalk, neither. <laughs>
0: That's famous vaudeville performer Cal Stewart doing a sketch. And in case you missed that punchline, he's saying, I don't think very much of a banana peel who throws a man on the sidewalk, neither. And yes, apparently that was considered a funny joke a hundred years ago. We know this for sure because there are so many more like it. References carried well into the middle of the century, showing up all over the place, from children's TV.
2: Uh, Bananas are food they are to eat, not to put in your ear, Ernie. What'd you say, Bert? Will you just take that banana out of your ear? I'm sorry, you'll have to speak a little louder, Bert. I can't hear you. I have a banana in my ear.
0: To the Broadway musical Singing in the Rain.
1: Just slip on a banana peel, the world's at your feet.
0: Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. Phil Silvers, another popular comedian at the time, once said that slipping on a banana peel is somehow always funnier because there's something ludicrous about it. Phil starred in the musical Top Banana, which is a show business term for the top comic on the bill. That phrase actually came from a comedy routine. Here he is.
1: If you want to be the top banana, you got to start at the bottom of the bunch.
0: The banana had become a standard comic theme. In gravestone humor circles, which we recently discovered were a thing, there's a famous epitaph. It reads, here lies the body of our Anna done to death by a banana. It wasn't the fruit that laid her low, but the skin of the thing that made her go. As legend has it, these words are written somewhere on a gravestone in Vermont, but there are disputing reports about whether it really exists, and the local historical society has never located it. I don't want to say they're wrong, but I like to think it's out there somewhere.
1: Yes, we have no bananas.
2: We have no bananas today.
0: This episode of Burnt Toast was produced by Gabrielle Lewis and me, Kenzie Wilbur. Thanks also to Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs, the founders of Food 52, and to Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our ad and theme music is by Joshua Roll Dobson. All other music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Our logo is designed by Abby Lossing. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. Or get in touch anytime. You can email us at burnttoastfood52.com. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening.